The reading tonight is uh, from Genesis chapter 4, and it's on page 6 of the Pew Bible. Adam made love to his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, With the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later, she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favour on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering he did not look with favour. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, Let's go out to the field. While they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, What have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You shall be a restless wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is more than I can bear. Today you are driving me from the land, and I will be hidden from your presence. I will be a restless wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. But the Lord said to him, Not so. Anyone who kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who found him would kill him. So Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Cain made love to his wife and she became pregnant and gave birth to Enoch. Cain was then building a city and he named it after his son Enoch. To Enoch was born Irad and Irad the father of Mahujael and Mahujael was the father of Methusiah and Methusiah was the father of Lamech. Lamech married two women, one named Ada and the other is Isla. Ada gave birth to Jabal. He was the father of those who live in tents and raise livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all who play stringed instruments and pipes. Zyla also had a son, Tubal Cain, who forged all kinds of tools out of bronze and iron. Tubal Cain's sister was Nema. Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zyla, listen to me. Wives of Lamech, hear my words. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for injuring me. If Cain is avenged seven times, then Lamech seventy-seven times. Adam made love to his wife again, and she gave birth to a son and named him Seth, saying, God has granted me another child in place of Abel since Cain killed him. Seth also had a son, and he named him Enosh. At that time, people began to call on the name of the Lord. Amen. Thank you, Ian. Thank you very much to the team. This morning we were paying tribute to Dr. Billy Graham. And uh, it's just good to be able to see the amount of press coverage that uh, his death got across the airwaves this last, uh, this last week. Just as a matter of interest, how many people actually heard him speak? Okay, quite a number of you. Uh, I mean, where was that? 
Windsor Park in when? 1963, okay. In Wembley. A long time ago, when you were a mere infant, Neil. Yeah, any other, any other people? Yes, Grace? London Bible College. Grace, come on away up here. We want to hear about London Bible College. Come on, come on, Grace. Dr. Grace Pettigrew. I, this is wonderful. I have wanted to get Grace up here for a very long time. Uh, and so this is just the, the most wonderful excuse. Uh, Dr. Grace uh, and I have known each other for a very long time, way back from Hamilton Road years. Grace, not m many people will know you, but uh, you were the, the doctor for uh, OMF uh, for many years uh, in the Far East. Um, and you're, you're originally Hamilton Road, so that's, that's how we got to know each other. So you were in London Bible College? For one year, yes. For one year? Yeah. And Billy Graham actually visited the he college? He did, yeah. He came and spoke at chapel. They have what they call chapel. Um, and every Wednesday then uh, there was a special speaker. Okay. And he came once. So that really was a special it speaker. Was. And did you know it was special at the time? Oh, or? yes. Oh, yeah. It was. Um, yeah, it was well publicised at the college beforehand, and it, yeah, it was very moving really to have him. Very special. So ordinarily he would speak evangelistically, but presumably on that occasion it wasn't. So. No, no, it was. Um, I don't remember what he spoke about except that it was very challenging, you know, for us all just to to use our lives with the way the Lord wanted okay. us to do. Yeah. yeah. And it is, I mean, it's a wonderful thing, isn't it? Here is a life that was surrendered to the Lord and, and he, he lived it with such integrity. And we're just so grateful to, to God for that, aren't we? Uh, any, any other specific things that you would remember? Anybody here? Uh, Ruth, do you have a memory? I think I heard him in Switzerland. Come on up and tell us about that. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, thank you, Grace. Who has landed you in this? Guess. Bad old Billy. In Switzerland? I was, I was um, working in a Christian hotel with two friends, my cousin and my brother. And um, we went down to Montreux one day um, to see my cousin, whose husband was a great friend of Billy Graham's. And I spent the afternoon at the hotel in the swimming pool. The men weren't there, um, and then I think I think I can't honestly remember if I did hear him that night. Not saying what, what, what kind of a memory have I? But there you are. I knew he was he was doing a crusade in very wonderful. Yeah, thank you, thank you very much indeed. Uh, his uh, um, autobiography is called, appropriately enough, "Just as I Am." Uh, I was looking at the uh, the various elements uh, to it and it talks about his, uh, his growing up uh, and uh, his call to preach, his courtship and marriage to, to Ruth uh, and then um, various elements where he had his London crusade in 1954, that was a very big event for London and then his friendship with various presidents including uh, Dwight uh, Eisenhower uh, and uh, then 
his time with President John F. Kennedy and Lyndon Johnson, Gerald Ford, Richard Nixon, Jimmy Carter. Then his time in, in Russia, in the USSR. I mean, that was a remarkable thing, and I do remember that at the time. Then his time with uh, George Bush and uh, other uh, events. This, this uh, is his autobiography. I ordinarily give away a book. <laughs> Who would like to have this book? Who would like to read it? It's not very big. <laughs> Anybody at all like to read it? All right. take your time and just enjoy it and uh, I think there is also another copy in the, uh, the church library actually uh, so there we go, great ok well we're on Genesis chapter 4 tonight and thank you Johnny for reading it so very well I was glad I wasn't uh, uh, having to read some of those names um, and uh, it's on page 6 in our pew Bibles. We really are in the I generation, aren't we? Um, many of us have iMacs or iPhones or iPods or iPads because life is centred about me. And as you know, the central part of the word sin is I, S-I-N, with me in the middle. And these early chapters of Genesis have explained to us where sin has come from from the very earliest ancestor, the very first human being. And although sin is often uh, thought of as the breaking of a rule, we've seen that even more significant sin is the breaking of a relationship. And uh, it is the created being's bid for independence against the creator God that is so, so devastating. And that, we've seen, is to lead to a bitter harvest of anxiety and fear and shame and alienation and judgment. As Proverbs 9 verse 10 says, the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. Uh, but we might add the beginning of folly is surely disregard uh, for the Lord. And how interesting also to note that the immediate tendency for the sinner is to conceal and to disguise sin. And that very soon leads to a a culture of blame of others and the rapid spread of sin beyond those who originally did what was wrong with deadly consequences. And we've seen that consequence that uh, just filters out to innocent people. There's the consequences physically. Uh, there is toil, there is pain, there is death. Uh, there are consequences relationally. There's alienation and anxiety and broken. Uh, relationships and there is spiritual alienation as well especially alienation uh, with God so this then is the story that makes sense of our story it helps us appreciate the dark depths of the disobedience of the human heart and our desperate need for a second Adam who will uh, triumph where the first Adam failed to do for us what we could never for ourselves. Let's just commit our time to God. 
Our gracious Lord, as we come to you, it is our prayer that you will speak to us of things that really matter. Help us grasp what is good so that we want to shun those things that are sinful. And what we ask is for the sake of Christ our Lord. Amen. Well, last uh, Sunday evening, Sam helped us see not only the content, but also the very clever and uh, uh, beautiful structure of Genesis chapter 3. And Genesis 4 also has a structure that is worth noting. Uh, do you see how it begins with Adam and Eve having a baby called Cain? And it ends with Adam and Eve giving birth to another son. Uh, this time Seth. It begins with Eve being rather proud of herself. Uh, do you see what she says? With the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Uh, do you see that letter again? I. So good for you, Eve. Uh, do you detect a wee bit of, um, uh, of I in the middle of that boast? Just as God created Adam, so I have made a man. But the birth of a baby is, uh, of course, a divine and a miraculous thing. Uh, any couple who have found it difficult to conceive or have children will know the pain of childlessness and how much we need to remember the incredible privilege as well as the responsibility of bringing a child into the world. And how much we need to resist either the devaluing of human life before birth or else the abuse or neglect of children after birth. Children are precious in the eyes of the Lord. And then later, verse 2, that is after Cain, we are told Eve gave birth to Abel. And Abel kept flocks while Cain worked the soil. Well, in the course of time, verse 3, Cain, we are told, brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. But Abel, verse 4, brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. And the Lord, we read, looked with favor on Abel about his offering, but on Cain and his offering he did not look with favor. So Cain, we see, you see his reaction, he was very angry. And his face was downcast. Do you find it interesting, as I do, uh, that worship is inbuilt? There was an instinct of the sons of Adam to worship. It was there. And strangely enough, people in all places and of all times... Whatever atheists contend have irritatingly this innate compulsion to pray and to worship. To offer something beyond themselves to God. That's a very deep instinct in the heart of human beings. But of course that raises the profound question, what is it in Cain and Abel's case makes for acceptable worship? Or what makes for unacceptable praise. In his commentary on Genesis, Andrew Reed gives us various suggestions as to why God looked with favor in Abel 
rather than on Cain? Is it that God prefers shepherds to gardeners? He asks tongue-in-cheek. Well, hardly, since chapter 2, verse 15, God explicitly commended Adam to work on the soil. Um, Maybe then it's something to do with the motives of the brothers. One was more honorable or righteous than the other, and certainly that's what the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, would seem to suggest. By faith, Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith, He was commended as a righteous man when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, he still speaks, even though dead. Or perhaps animal sacrifices are more acceptable to God than vegetable offerings. Um, That there can be no forgiveness of sin without the shedding of blood. And that, I've got to say, has uh, always been my understanding. And I, I still think it has some merit. But it was interesting for me to read in preparation for this that Martin Luther actually gives another angle, which which is quite intriguing. He conjectures that Cain offered his sacrifice with pride rather than with a spirit of humility. And that spirit of pride had been fostered by his mother Eve, who at his birth boasted that just as the Lord had created Adam, So now she had created a man. Had Eve inculcated into Cain, her firstborn, a horrible pride and a sense of superiority, which in turn influenced and infected his attitudes towards other people, to his younger brother and to God himself? What do you think? Certainly in verse 2, there's little suggestion that Eve was quite as delighted with the birth of Abel as she was with Cain. Do you see what it says? Later she gave birth to his brother Abel. It's almost like a throwaway line. By the way, a while later on she had another boy. Did Cain, as firstborn, have a sense of entitlement? I'm number one which his parents, or certainly his mother, encouraged, whereas Abel had no such sense of illusion or grandeur. And so suggests Luther, when Cain brought his offering to God, he brought with him a similar misunderstanding of his own importance, that somehow God would naturally treat him as special. And when God didn't, He wasn't just sad. He wasn't repentant. He didn't become reflective or thoughtful. The text tells us he was angry. Angry that God didn't honor his own exalted view of himself. How dare he? He was extremely cross. Well, the message is loud and clear. Being firstborn in the family means nothing to God. Being the eldest or the senior one or the boss or the significant individual doesn't impress the Lord one little bit. What matters to him is faith. 
And so when Cain's self-centered world is destroyed, with I in the center, his face was downcast. Now that's not to say that every firstborn has an inflated opinion of themselves. Or indeed that every younger child is favored by God. But it simply is a challenge to our natural worldly assumptions. And as with so many other parts of the gospel, God turns the expected norms of society upside down in their heads. And that's why, of course, the Bible continues this motif with, for example, Jacob being blessed rather than Esau or Ephraim rather than Manasseh, or David rather than Eliab. Because while man looks at the outward appearance, God looks at the heart. Well, after that, we read um, God challenges Cain. Do you see that in verse 6? He challenges Cain about his anger, And he gives him a very clear choice between doing what is right and doing what is wrong. Sin is crouching at your door, says the Lord. So there's that word with I at the center. Sin desires to have you, but you must master it. Um, This, by the way, is the very first time that uh, sin, the word sin, is mentioned in the book of Genesis. It's clearly present in chapter 3, but it's not actually named. In chapter 3, the apostle Paul puts it this way in Romans 5, just as by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin, so death has passed upon all men. But as a word, this is the first time it's actually employed. And the image that is used of sin here is of a predator eager to force its way into Cain's existence. Is that not very potent? Just as the poisonous serpent had struck Cain's parents with his deadly venom, so now he too is under pressure from the evil one to give way. I don't know what sin may be trying to press its way in upon you right now. But whatever it is, God's clear warning is resist it. Yield not to temptation, for yielding is sin. Each victory will help you some other to win. Fight manfully onward, dark passions subdue. Look ever to Jesus, he will carry you through. And what's the way to resist this predator that is at our door? Ask the Savior to help you. Comfort, strengthen, and keep you. He is willing to aid you. He will carry you through. And that's a lovely promise. But even as Adam had decided that he knew better than God as to what was in his best interests. Sadly, like father, like son, and Cain deliberately lures his brother out into the field where he attacked him and killed him. So if sin was introduced in chapter 3, it speeds up 
to a deeper and darker level here as the first child born to humans murders his very own brother. And in the ensuing interrogation, Cain tries that well-worn tactic of his parents in verse 9 and tries to hide and shift the blame. I don't know anything about Abel's death. Am I my brother's keeper? And the answer is yes, Cain, you are. But instead of keeping him, out of jealousy and anger, Cain got rid of him, supposing that with him out of the way, somehow his life would be better. Whereas, as you know and as I know, sin always leads to consequences. And so, in verses 10 to 13, the Lord banishes Cain from the land, condemns him to a life of restless wandering. Isn't that an accurate description of people without the Lord Jesus in their lives. Restless wandering. Compare that, for example, with what Dr. Billy Graham expressed in the video which we saw this morning. I know where I've come from. I know why I'm here. I know where I'm going. Do you? And of course we can because the believer finds all these things all our sense of sense of direction and purpose in the Lord Jesus Christ. But at this point, we might expect the end of the conversation. Sin uh, has uh, gripped Cain, and he has uh, sinned not only against the Lord, but against his neighbor. He's rebelled against God who he cannot see, by killing God's created being who he can see. And here we may ordinarily anticipate banishment and death against the wicked perpetrator. But this is where we are amazed. Because here we, we discover something that astonishes us. Something that is totally unexpected. There's grace outside the garden. My punishment is more than I can bear, says Cain to the Lord in verse 13. Whoever finds me will kill me. But the Lord said in verse 15, not so. If anyone kills Cain, he will suffer vengeance seven times over. And then the Lord put a mark on Cain. The mark of Cain. Now that would be a good name for a movie, wouldn't it? And so the mark was put on Cain so that anybody who found him uh, would, would not kill him. And Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod. That is to the place of wandering located east of Eden. So even as Cain so dramatically failed to be his brother's keeper, God in his grace and goodness will become Cain's keeper. It's not the will of the Lord that any should perish, 2 Peter 3. It's God's wish that everyone may come to repentance. This is grace outside the garden. God is far kinder to us than any of us ever deserve. And even in punishment, there is mercy. All right, we're nearly through. 
What then are these tangible signs of God's grace? Well, look down in verse 17. Uh, Can you see that Cain and his wife uh, make love and they have a baby? Well, that's a blessing. Both of those things are a blessing. And then Cain builds a city. Uh, So cities are a blessing. And then Cain becomes a grandpa. How good is that? So all of these are amazing blessings. And maybe sometimes we forget what wonderful delights God has granted to us. The privilege of intimacy, the joy of family, of friends, the benefits of living in a city, the pleasure of having grandchildren. And these are all illustrations of grace outside the garden. Undeserved gifts from God, nonetheless graciously granted. And we too, as sons and daughters of Adam, even in this sinful and fractious and fragile world, we are recipients of astonishing blessing. Uh, And you see how the blessings just continue. Verse 20, there's the ability to raise and benefit from livestock. Uh, Verse 21, there's the pleasure of music. Verse 22, there's the development of tools and technology. So even when man rejects God, God does not give up on humankind. And of course, in due time, Romans chapter 5, while we were still sinners... Christ died for the ungodly. Sadly, we can see this story of Lamech. Do you see in verses 90 to 24, this is Cain's great, 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 great grandchild. And that story illustrates the violence of Cain stepping up another notch. With Cain and Abel, It was God who avenged to death by punishment that was tempered by mercy, not so by humans. Lamech will punish by death an injury. And who will do it? He'll do it himself. And he will boast about it in song before his women. If Cain is avenged seven times, then Lamech 77 times. Does that remind you of anywhere else in Scripture? How many times asked Peter of Jesus in Matthew 18, ought I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? In other words, should I forgive enough to undo Cain's revenge? And Jesus replied, 70 times seven or 77 times. Because although this is not the way of Lamech, although this is not the way of the world, The astonishing act of forgiveness is the way of the Lord. It's wonderful, isn't it? And so chapter 4 ends as it begins with Adam and Eve giving birth to a child, uh, this time giving birth to Seth. And verse 25, Eve saying, God has granted me another child in the place of Abel. There's a bit more humility there, isn't there? What do you think? A bit less of I, a bit more of God. And at that time, verse 26, men began to call on the name of the Lord. So in spite of the violence, in spite of this sin with I at the center, some realize 
that they are not the center of the universe. There is, in fact, something or someone even greater than me. And some, yes, some, choose to worship the true and living Lord. Our gracious Lord, we do say thank you that you love us. Not because we are lovely, but because you are inordinately kind. This week, enable us not to presume on that kindness, but to resist evil, to do all we can to turn away from it, to do what is good and what is right and what is loving this coming week. And what we pray, our gracious God, is in the name and for the sake of the second Adam who fought and who prevailed and who grants us his strength. Amen. The grace, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore.